punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hey there, welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I am Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined as always by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. Guys, what's up? Back together, I love it. Hello, it was weird because I, 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 I was gonna say I like. I pretty much demanded that you take charge of this, and it was as you were introducing yourself, I was like half expecting you to say Mike Cole. Mike Cole. It was very yeah. weird to hear something. It's, I, it's I am like not Mike Cole, so that brain. would not have no, made sense. No, I understand sense. that much, but uh, yeah, a, a flawless introduction. Thank you. I agree. You're yeah. always thinking of yourself, and I'm so. going out of my way to just completely <laughs> step on right railroad here, so. well thank you for that uh and so with that we're back for the first time in probably two months or so uh you know escape to the cottages nantucket the islands what have you uh but we are back now and so too are the bruins they begin training camp i believe wednesday is the first day we're recording this on tuesday september the 21st uh, for better or for worse, we will all be back far more regularly now. Uh, but since it's been a minute, you know, and training camp's right around the corner, a uh, variety of topics with which to dive into. So we'll stop wasting time falling all over ourselves about how great my introduction was. It was fantastic. Uh, Lauren, what is the biggest thing you are watching for in training camp, which we think begins tomorrow? I am watching for Jake DeBrusque and Charlie Coyle. I know you said the biggest thing, but I think those two kind of tie for me. Jake DeBrusque's season last year was obviously very lackluster. He's got a lot of pressure around him. And Charlie Coyle, he had the knee issue, the surgery. Probably will be limited in camp, but if he's poised to take over that second-line center role, a lot of eyes are going to be on him. Is that a good thing, that Coyle's the second-line center? Like, is that a is that a roster hole? I guess it determines on who takes his place, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, there the chemistry with Hall, Krejci, and Smith was obviously undeniable, but... Coyle had a lot of chemistry with his third line teammates there, his line mates. So I'm definitely a little eh, iffy about him yeah. going to the second line center for a number of reasons. But I mean, does anybody really replace David Krejci? No, definitely not. Um, I mean, I, the Bruins wouldn't assign him to the deal that they signed him to if they didn't think that he was one day going to be ready to take over for Krejci. I mean, you don't generally pay your third line center $6 million a year. Uh, the skill sets there he obviously wasn't healthy but if you get the spring early summer version of 2019 uh charlie Coyle, then you're probably cooking with gas uh michael what are you watching for uh well clearly i'm watching to see what tukarask looks like and david krejci and how they're oh that's right there (laughs) never mind um i've paid a little more attention than that uh i guess I mean, I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching for, for what Lauren's watching too. I don't want to sit here and say I'm not watching that. But uh, for the argument or for the purpose of this exercise, I'll say Jack Zagnika, uh, who finally looks like a professional hockey player. He's thick now. No disrespect from what to I've him. Because um, I certainly don't look like a professional hockey player. But Phil uh, Kessel. Let's <laughs> <laughs> insult him, Phil. But. Um, <laughs> No, he looks like there is a, a picture in the Globe. I don't know if it was a social photo or what, but uh, it was him, uh, Lyle, and uh, I don't know who else. But, like, Stanika looked legitimately big. Uh, he looked big in his uh, 
conference call with reporters. Um, he did look very big he looks in that like, Zoom call. That, yeah, he looks like an adult finally, and which is good. Bra- and Brady Lyle, friend of the podcast, of course, is also a big gentleman. Brady Lyle, so. not to get sidetracked, has quads the size of that football that I'm looking at right across. They're popping out. It's Nothing. a regulation yeah, size football. <laughs> hockey players, this is nothing on a tangent, but hockey players love these golf tournaments because they get to wear like their six inch inseam shorts that just come up to basically uh, whatever. Uh, they, they like it's the a tourniquet. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, fig leaves or whatever. Um, no, I, I, I think not only is Stanika look bigger, more adult like. Um, but it's a, it's a big you know a big season for him and he's kind of an odd man out right now at least as it pertains to centers and maybe he's a guy who finds himself onto that third line right wing maybe he forces himself into a center spot maybe he just is a big jack guy who didn't make the necessary improvements to his hockey game too like he's it feels like he's been around for 10 years now yeah, it that's not the case, but it does kind of feel like we're re- reaching a breaking point. Uh, you know, you'd like to see a little bit even more evolution from his game. So, um, I think he's also a player who, if he turns into what they think and hope he can be, a lot of the off-season issues, if you want to call it that, look a lot more, you know, digestible. With you know, because then he he's going to be a guy that that's almost like your own little addition too. So, right. Um. I think there's a lot of pressure on him. I think he's in a spot where he kind of has to take take the ball and run with it, for for lack of a better term, and really kind of prove himself. Um, I know it's probably still a little bit early in his development, but having him be improved and kind of getting closer to that potential would go a long way for this team. Yeah, I would agree that is also the main thing I'm looking for. Uh, so I'll try and uh-huh. advance it a little bit instead of just parroting what you said. But complete X factor, Jack Stadnika, because – you sort of alluded to it, but if Jack Stanika pans out as what they think could be like a second-line center type, you have a vastly different look to your entire team. Like yeah. even Charlie Coyle looks like a far better player. You get to use most likely Eric Halla on the wing instead of having yep. him center line, or he's your fourth-line center. So a lot riding on what Jack Stanika does. Uh, just mentioned Eric Halla, but uh, the Bruins – underwent a variety of changes. Uh, I'll go off the top of my head here. It was Nick Foligno, Eric Howla, uh, Tomas Nosek, Derek Forbert, and Lena Solmark. I feel like I'm missing a forward. I don't think I am. Uh, those are the main ones. So, yeah, <laughs> Mike's just shrugging his shoulders. Um, so let's just, you know, open up the conversation here about where all these guys supposedly are fitting. Uh, Nick Foligno is probably the one with the most name recognition in his prime. He was middle top six forward for the blue jackets. He's no longer in his prime. He still can score, but the Maple Leafs version of Nick Foligno wasn't all that great. Uh, But it seems like he has a little bit more to offer than just a fourth line winger center. So uh, we'll kick it off with Warren. Where exactly does Nick Felino fit into this whole picture? I think he's going to the third line center position. I think that's a big ask for him, but at the same time, he's he's been in higher positions. Patrice Bergeron had a lot of good things to say about him, and he adds veteran presence to the bottom six, and I think that's kind of what the Bruins need, even though they've had players on those lines that have been there. You don't have somebody like Nick Felino who's been in the league for a while. Um, so I'm going to put him there. 
Mike? I think he's the center of the fourth line. Okay. I think Hallow centers the third line. Um, what do you do with Curtis Lazar? I don't know. And so, like, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves with our your, uh, very involved and uh, well-thought-out rundown. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's kind of my issue with this bottom six is it's like, yeah, I mean, you got a lot of options. So I guess you have depth if you want to call it that. But, like, does anybody really have bottom six depth? Is that kind of like an oxymoron at a certain point? I feel like they've had bottom six yeah. depth forever. <laughs> so we're just kind <laughs> of doing pro- this their again. forward prospect pool. So like bottom six depth. I And I just kind of look at like the issue of last year wasn't – maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering. Uh, but I don't feel like bottom six depth was the issue last year. Well, their fourth line stunk. I don't think that but it like, was necessarily you can win an a, issue. You can, you can advance beyond the second round with a – stinky fourth line sure i think the bruins at their best though have had a good fourth line like they won't lose because of them but i also think that they won't win because of them like like bigger picture though my read is like they probably wanted to do something bigger this offseason it didn't work out and like they just kind of fell back and let's just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall no disrespect to guys like you know felino and Hala, and they they brought in some good hockey players that'll make them marginally better but like i just wonder if we're doing the same old thing again and that's a long way of saying like where felino starts the season that'll probably change by halloween yeah and then it'll change again by thanksgiving and then it'll change again by christmas and like it's just gonna continue it's so it's a kind of a cop-out to answering the actual question but like right. i just think it's so hard to tell with when you have that many pieces involved in the bottom six that i think and especially guys a lot of guys who haven't played together or a lot of guys who haven't played much together there so. might be some clunky fits yeah that's what I, that's, yeah. I guess that's yeah. what i'm saying because yeah. i've kind of kicked around some of those ideas in my head too mm-hmm. like if stadnika makes the roster then you're probably bumping out chris wagner right and your fourth line could look something like no Felino, Lazar, something like that, which is an interesting look. Uh, Nick Felino, I throw last season out the window for pretty much everybody, yeah. it, at least a 30-point player in each of his last three seasons. I mean, if you can add in Nosek, too, we can get to him in a second, but is historically more of an offensive-minded fourth-line player. So maybe they try and go for that, you know, scoring across every line type of thing, you know, for how many years now have we said that scoring beyond the first line is an issue? And so maybe that this is their idea of, okay, you can play Nick Felino in a bottom six role and perhaps get more out of him than if he's starting against teams' top defensive pairings. Yeah, but, like, the – you're, you're right. Like, the, the depth it's scoring – It's a big ticket to do that. The, the scoring depth is, like, the issue, but it's, it's not like – I don't know. I feel like they're trying to fix the scoring depth by – having a good fourth line. And I don't know if it works it's that probably way. Probably not sustainable. It's just And I mean sometimes you have to do that whether it's cap related, you know, market, whoever's out there, just things like that, but like and I, I getting Taylor Hall last year certainly helped. So I'm not completely poo-pooing what their middle six can do. Like that's that's where I'm at. Like what's okay. what's going to be the what's the middle six going to look like? I think that's the biggest question mark with the entire team and I think that kind of dictates what the offensive output at least looks like in the long run sure i because like everything else is gonna like the first line is what it is obviously and then whatever kind of is just like you know you make a smoothie and like everything falls to the bottom 
or a can at the end. Right. Like that's kind of what the fourth line will be. And you just got to make sure that the ingredients, you know, you know, the first few sips are going to be awesome. And then like uh, the middle is going to be, that's where I'm concerned right now. It's the middle of the smoothie with the Bruins. Okay. I had a tough time following that <laughs> analogy. I'm not going to lie. Maybe I'm not a big enough smoothie guy. I just have a smoothie. Or I'm going to that. places that make better smoothies. That's probably the part of it. No, but, like, it's just, like I said, like, I, I think the middle six is really – because, again, you don't want to take it for granted too much we have in the first line. But, you know, whether – like, that's the thing. If, like, coil sucks, like, now you're in trouble. Right. That, coil that could comes, be problematic. If coil comes back healthy and he's the player he was two years ago – that's a hell of a second line. Now you've got one of the best top six in hockey. I don't think it's a coincidence that each of the forwards that they signed, the NHL caliber forwards that they signed this offseason, have a good bit of experience as centers or are comfortable yeah. playing centers. Uh, yeah, I guess the idea of doing things by committee or playing to the matchups is easier in theory than in practice because we could sit here and say well they'll play you know Felino and Howla and whoever against a more skill-based team but when the Capitals come into town like that's when you have Frederick and Lazar and Wagner and all those guys but I don't know if a certain line's rolling well then you just have to stick with it so it's a tough way to make a living for Frederick and Lazar it too. is yeah. this is going to be a weird year for a lot of those guys I mean even those uh, Carson Kuhlman is someone who's probably going to get forgotten in a lot of this uh, this is going to be Wagner though. Oscar I mean, Steen yeah. when you're dealing with th- that many guys who are older like there are going to be injuries so. that's a good point or at least you know load management if you will uh so let's pivot, pivot excuse me to Tomash Nosek uh comes from the Vegas Golden Knights had spent uh, he was one of the original sort of, I don't know if you consider a guy homegrown uh, Vegas Golden Knight, but he was one of the original guys there. Uh, 29 years old. He's only making $1.5 million. Uh, last year, 38 games, had 18 points, playing almost exclusively in a fourth-line role. Um, you know, kind of a Sean Corrali type, if you will, a straight-line game. Uh, I, the most interesting thing I think I heard Don Sweeney say about Nosek was that He's not the fastest skater, but he gets there on time. So I guess in that sense, he's a little bit different than Sean Corrali, who was a bit more uh, swift of a skater, but he has a nose for the net. There's not a whole lot of fourth liners putting up 18 points in 38 games. Uh, That might be a bit more of an aberration than anything. He was scoring 15 to 17 points in the high 60s more often than not with Vegas, but the defensive numbers, the the analytics don't favor him all that much, but for a guy that will play probably 11, 12, 13 minutes of ni- a night, you'll take what you can with uh, the offense. Yeah, and I think putting him on the fourth line certainly will be beneficial to the Bruins. And the on-time comment from Sweeney really kind of stuck out to me, stuck out to me too, because how many times last year did we say Bruce Cassidy, hear him say that teams – his players could not get to the puck on time. They didn't start on time. It was always something yeah. on time. So to hear that a fourth liner and maybe a little bit better than Sean Corrali can actually get to the puck and just kind of put up a better fight certainly will boost that fourth line. Uh, just be interesting to see exactly where he fits there because you have so much of this quote-unquote depth. Right. Mike? I'm just <laughs> dicking around with uh, hockey references, similarity scores for Nozak. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly, Brett Ritchie, 
Uh, okay. Uh, the, the, the top similarity score is... Oh, Casey Middlestat and yeah. Brandon Boshensky. Top Bruins one is in. Dave Schultz, which is <laughs> awesome. Like, yeah. if he turns into Dave Schultz, that... We're gonna be you'll, for, you'll take that. It'll be a hell of a year. <laughs> right. be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just looking at Schultz's 74-75 uh, season with, uh, with the Flyers. 9-17-26. Respectable. Sure. Yeah, right. For a fourth liner. <laughs> 472 penalty minutes to lead the league. The yeah, man spent more time numbers, in the penalty yeah. box than anybody else uh, over the course of a three-year season. So, um, yeah, I don't. I again, I don't, with all disrespect, to you're not winning or losing anything. The <laughs> clan, uh, yeah, I, I, um, no, nah, I don't know. I like. I think he could be a pleasant surprise type. I think Lauren made some some good points, um, and I also think like. When it comes to fourth line, bottom six guys, like if it doesn't work, you can't be afraid to mix it up. And I think that's kind of what they've done this year is like, hey, you know, can't be a whole lot worse than last year. And if you if it doesn't work, then what have you lost? Not a whole lot. Right. Well, and when you have so many options too. Correct. Um, one of those options being Eric Howla, a signing that I really like. Now I, we're talking. Yeah, I, that is a guy. This might not surprise either of you. I really like Eric Howla. I. Uh, 30 years old, uh, he's making a little over $2 million. I think he's, uh, no, he's slightly under the John Moore deal in terms of uh, value. Uh, a 20-point-per-season guy much of his career. Uh, he did pop off that one year in Vegas when they did with uh, his now former-slash-new teammate Tomasz Nosek uh, for 55 points. That is far more the exception than the rule. But generally speaking, a steady bottom four, more often than not center, who uh, plays a relatively two-way game. 21 points last year with Nashville, uh, 24 the year before between the Hurricanes and the Panthers. A useful player, one that will probably be an every-night player. I would say more so than Nosek, you can sort of – take it to the bank that Howell will be in the lineup more often than not. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that bet. And I think him going on the fourth line, I mean, you can also kind of insert him anywhere on the third line too, but then it's where does Felino go and all that. But again, the depth of these bottom six players will hopefully benefit the Bruins, but putting Howell on the fourth line, I think is, uh, could be potentially very dangerous this season. 60% of his, Starts last year, shift starts in the defensive zone. So, like, he yeah. played a much different style, I guess. Than, well, now I'm looking at it now. One year he started 71% shifts in the defensive zone with way back with Minnesota. They grinded the fourth line. The Bruins did last yeah. year. Like, that unit had a ton so of defensive zone I don't zone think there's going to be a whole lot of change in that regard if, yeah. if we're assuming he's going to be in that role again. I get Craig Smith vibes from him. He's not going to score 30 goals or anything like that. It just feels like a um, – I mean, the fact that they both came from Nashville is a coincidence, but, like, they just both feel like veteran players that you can trust who probably will exceed expectations, at least from the broader fan base and, and media alike, where it's just, you know, I think he's, to your point, Logan, he's going to be there every night, um, dependable. Like, Cassidy's going to not really have to worry about him much in a good way. I'm so fascinated by his first year in Vegas because he had 29 goals and 26 assists. 300 shot attempts and 12 of his goals were on the power play. He was playing a lot. He was playing a ton. Uh, he had a 17-22 average time on ice, which is what I guess what happens when you're That's in Island of, of Misfit though. Toys, but that is still a crap load of shot attempts. 175 of them getting through, too. Um, okay, so before we pivot uh, to the defense, 
if you're building your bottom six, knowing basically nothing about how any of these guys are fitting together right now, I think we're all in agreement of what the top six would look like. But if you're building your third and fourth line, you know, basically blindly throwing darts at what the lineup will look like a little under a month from now against the stars, what are you going with? Um, so I'll do the fourth line because I feel more confident in building that than the third one. But um, I think you do Hala, Nosek, and Curtis Lazar on the fourth line. Kay. The third is obviously Jake DeBrusque, uh, Nick Felino, and then by committee, the third line yeah. r um, right wing. So I don't know. I think that there's a lot of options, and I think that I don't know what it says about me being more confident in a fourth line than a third line going into the season. But I think this depth and the options will be good. I just think that, I mean, I don't know. I think it depends on the teams, the matchups, who's going to be better for the Stars, the Capitals, as the season goes on. But I don't know. I don't know who's going to be on that third line. I don't TBD. think Bruce Cassidy does either. <laughs> yeah, I would go DeBrusque, uh, Howla. Stanika on the third line, and then I'm not sure who my fourth line left winger is, but then Felino centering with Wagner. Yeah. To start the year. Right. But I, I think Wagner gets like a built-in head start because of his institutional knowledge. That's probably true. I think Wagner is going to be big time in healthy scratch territory this year. I would say it's probably going to be I, – I, I'm going to buy into the Stanika hype and say it'll be – DeBrusque, Studnika, and then they play Howell on the wing, and they keep DeBrusque on the left because they don't want to mess with that. Like at Has least Howell played much on the right side. I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I was know looking that, that up sure. before earlier. I didn't see a whole lot mentioning because uh, he's a left shot too, right. I believe. That's so, so like that was. I meant to mention this earlier, not to hijack your your, your time. Uh, I will cede you time after. Uh, I, it feels like a lot of those guys are left shot like that they brought in. So there's not a lot of diversity in terms of those depth options. That might be an issue at some point. It probably will be. So I'll go with, yeah, DeBrus, Nika Howla on the third line, and then Nosek, Lazar, Felino for the fourth line. And then your spares are Wagner and Frederick, basically. Um, so a little bit more certain of a situation then is on defense, the – main signing was Derek Forbert. Uh, kind of surprising the term, I guess. They gave him three years. Uh, you know, a lot of people look at him and think that he's going to be like a, a goon or a fighter. That's not really his game. He is 6'4", 219. There is an obvious layer of they wanted to add size. Uh, the most likely situation sounds like he'll be on a third pairing with Connor Clifton, but the Bruins have been very forthright that they are interested in trying him with Charlie McAvoy. Make of that what you will. Uh, but that was kind of the big defensive signing was Derek Forbert. So, Lauren, have at it. I like him on the third pairing, but I also like the idea of him being with McAvoy because that's a lot of size. But I don't know if it's too much size. I mean, McAvoy and Grizzlick are good together. Do you want to not ruin the chemistry, but do you want to kind of in intrude on that chemistry? But Putting a guy like Forbert on a third pairing could have a lot of danger to opponents. That's a big boy on a third pairing there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, am I supposed to be excited about a third pairing defenseman this year? You know, I, I think it's actually <laughs> – <laughs> I think it speaks more to 
again, the institutional foundation that they've built with their defensemen that they felt comfortable enough doing this. It certainly is a it's a move after what happened in the playoffs, especially against the Islanders. Uh, and I do think Forber helps in some in that regard too, with with the size and you know it's gonna be a little tougher to push around. They need players who are, um, you know, can withstand the the physical toll that comes with playing a seven game series against tough teams like the Islanders. And I think just by virtue of his size, he's probably better suited to do that than some of the the, the smaller guys on that that blue line. So in that regard, I I think it makes sense. Sneaky, capable offensively i don't want to say good or talented double but digits yeah you know, more right. so than brandon carlo sure or kevin miller sure so i i think there is some versatility there um and again i think you have to look at it too like uh to to amend my other point like having you know mike riley back for a full season kind of changes the the feeling around that that defensive unit too i would imagine so um i'm not this just felt like a very open-ended question to, to which i did not provide a great opinion i just don't I mean, he's a fine player, like, but I don't think it changes a ton. I guess yeah. he can eat minutes. I think that is uh, he was playing twenty something minutes a night for the most part with Winnipeg. The Kings during the end of his run there uh, were using him all the time. So, you know, the Bruins do like having defensemen that they don't need to cap at fifteen minutes or anything like that. That's why. For as much as people bag on John Moore, every time he plays, he's playing 21 minutes, okay. uh, for better or for worse. Uh, so that, I guess that is probably a, a big part of the uh, Forbert signing. Yeah, he's I, not a player to get jazzed about No, but I will say, but. I remember talking about this in the spring or whatever, or even in the summer, like... Derek Forbert? No, but just <laughs> left shot size. Welling or able to play big minutes, like they they checked all of those boxes. So I have to give them credit for that. Yeah, I think there were better options out uh, there, but they weren't willing to pay that price. Right. Clearly. So I'm curious about that because everyone that works in the Bruins front office seemingly went on the record and said puck moving, minutes eating, left shot defenseman. And I wouldn't file Derek Forbert under the umbrella of puck moving, but in theory, they did check a lot of those boxes. He's not. Oliver Ekman Larson or you know, take your pick, but I don't know. He, he eats minutes. He's a left shot and he adds size. Uh, so there you go. There's our thoughts on Derek <laughs> Forbert. Um, well, like, yeah, I guess I was, I'm just trying, I was just looking at this actually pretty trying to develop a take. Well, no, the be, uh, like a ranking of the best available free agents and like Goligoski was a guy that I was probably higher on. Yeah. On this Doesn't list. add size, but can score. Yeah. But, you know, this list has him and Forber right around the same spot. I forget there's somebody else who did check the side. I, I thought again. Yanni Hockenpah, who that might have been Obviously. it. <laughs> he went to the stars. He that is had a breakout year with the Ducks and then got traded to the Hurricanes and this proved that he could be a top pairing guy. This is going to bother me because there is somebody who signed pretty early and I already forget. And okay. So clearly I was not too enamored with. <laughs> said player this unnamed well, gentleman. yeah you keep diving mystery in, man you keep diving into that the other notable signing perhaps the most notable honestly was Linus Olmark uh the goalie that they signed from the Buffalo Sabres looks like it's going to be Olmark Swayman in some order to start the season uh a good bit of term on his deal and a decent amount of salary with him too 
Uh, you don't generally pay a guy, what is it, $4 million, $5 million to be, yeah, it's a $5 million cap hit across four years, uh, to be you know, a placeholder, keeping the seat warm or something like that. Uh, so, Lauren, I mean, wh- where do you stand on the Olmark signing? I was really shocked by the term just because all season or all off season, we've heard the doors open for Tuca to return. And, of course, they're not going to sign somebody who underwent labrum surgery and to a long-term deal, one-year one deal, whatever. But, you know, I like the signing. I think it says – I think it speaks volumes about their confidence in Swayman because of the, the trade with Flodar. So I think that the Bruins are confident going forward with Swayman, and I think they're obviously confident enough in Allmark to at least hold it down if Swayman starts to struggle. He's only been played in 10, 11 NHL games, so – I think at the end of the day, they liked what they saw from Allmark in his last six seasons with Buffalo, and they're ready to kind of, I don't want to say move on from Tuca by any means, but just kind of start moving forward in a direction to hopefully get to the Stanley Cup final. Alexiak is who I was thinking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He did get scooped up quickly. Did. $4.6 million, which is tied into this. Uh, I like Olmark, the player. The numbers last year playing for – a terrible Buffalo team. Very impressive. When you contextualize it like that, it's absurd, the firing squad. He I, yeah. I would push back on Lauren a little bit, and I do wonder what this does say about Swayman. Because, like, maybe I was putting way too much stock into a very small sample size for Jeremy Swayman. But, like, perhaps. Let's, let's get weird. Like, I don't know if... Linus Olmark keeps the window wide open for this team you have. I feel better about taking my chances with Jeremy Swayman as the one not you know, not committing a ton of money to that position, especially after getting Rask off the books. And I thought that you have a better chance of building a short-term championship contender investing that money in other players on the free agent market and trying to make it work with Swayman and whoever you want as your backup. I understand that's a huge risk. I understand that not every, you know, NHL uh, general managers and front offices are pretty risk adverse. And maybe you want to be less risky when you have a team like this, that the window is, if not closing, it's being propped up by a very shaky uh, piece of wood. Um, I just like, I, I, and he'll be good. Like he's going to be very good for them. He'll yeah. probably be, no, I was going to say an all-star, but, like, it's weird in the NHL. But, like, he's going to put up great numbers. I think he's probably going to finish top 10 in, like, Vezna. Like, I don't think that's a stretch because I think the system is so good, he's going to look good in front of it. I just think you could have done that with Swayman for a whole lot less money and reinvested that money elsewhere. Um, and who knows? With, you know, if the cap starts to go up in the next few years, it's going to look like a bargain, though. So I understand yeah. the – and maybe it, maybe it's your, your way of bridging the gap to Swayman. It just feels like – to, and again, to Lauren's point with the term, like that's a lot of term when you have a guy who certainly looked at, if not NHL ready, pretty damn close to NHL ready. Well, I think further substantiating the point that they trust Swayman is that they traded Vladar. And so that but kind of so, flew under so the radar. I, I, I'm going to need you guys to explain this to me more then. Because, like, I mean, I understand why they traded <laughs> That part I get. But, like, why is this a, a good thing for Swayman? Well, because why is it, it say so? Now you have a five million dollar backup. If well, so here's my kind of spin on it: is that 
they spent the last few years paying what about nine million for the goalie position. They're already so with Swayman half, and basically. Olmark here. You're paying about six million, five and three quarters. Uh, so you're already saving it on that front. I think unless until you January. Ha- until January, right? But Rask is going to make seven hundred and fifty thousand prorated. Um, I think unless you have an Andre Vasilevsky, which very few teams do. In fact, only the Tampa Bay Lightning have one of him. The approach now has to be two relatively even split goalies. Like you look at teams around the league, and a lot of them are investing in those Anton Hudobin types that are a mid-tier sort of goalie that can play 35 to 40 games, and you can have a relatively even split, and then you get into the playoffs, and off you go. I think that was more or less the mindset where if Omar comes in and plays – out of his mind right away, then, okay, you lean on him, but you also need to see what you have in Jeremy Swayman. And I think what happened with Carter Hart kind of scared the bejesus out of a lot of teams. It should have scared the bejesus out of the Bruins that, well, then, okay, the Flyers oh, like what they saw early on with Hart. Well, then if it scared the bejesus out of the Bruins, then you guys are both wrong about them feeling confident in Swayman. Well, I think that you have to go in with at least some level of a fail-safe, and that's what sure. Lena Solmark is. And unless you're going to go with uh, you know, Swayman and Brian Elliott or well, a like, low-end like veteran, then Swayman if Swayman doesn't Martin pan Jones. out or, or, yeah, Martin Jones, which would be Martin Jones you watch. Swayman and Mrazek. It's Swayman oh. and Yeah, I mean, if I have a choice just get between Mrazek and Olmark, like, yeah. Get, and then you got Tugaras coming at least this year. Maybe. Sure. But I think that ultimately, I don't think it negates the point that they have confidence in. Like, I think ultimately the Flyers still trust Carter Hart, but I think that they put the cart before the horse way too early on. And all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, this guy's urinating down his leg and our backup option is you know, whoever their backup was Mike McKenna a couple of years ago. Like, you know, the year they went through six goalies or however many it was. I just think they fell into a good opportunity to try going at it without committing a ton of money that they had committed to the goaltending situation. And it could have been even less than what they're committing now. But if you're trying to keep the championship window, I don't think you can gamble with the goalie outlook. I mean, like that's why that's why the Hurricanes have starting gotten him in game six of a. Sure, but that's why the Hurricanes have gotten bounced every year is because they've had Reimer Mrazek or some. Sure, but like if Swayman's know, as good, like I guess, like I said, I started this conversation saying I might be higher on Swayman than I deserve to be in this situation. Yeah, but. I just I don't think the. Olmark signing is a referendum on Jeremy Swayman, but I think no, they I also either. would be silly to not have all their bases covered. And that, like, $5 million, it might be a little steep, but that's relatively the cost of doing business, I feel like. I, Yeah, I, I don't... Unless you want Malcolm Subban. Like I said, I'm high on Swayman, so it's not. I'm not poo-pooing him. I just think they probably could have allocated those funds better, kicked the can down the road a little bit more with their goaltending situation, which is a weird thing to say when they're coming off. I don't know. It just felt like you – I don't like say it's a gift to have Rask's money off the books now and not have to pay that, but, like, I don't know. Could you have reinvested it in a different way? Could you have gone sure. out and traded for Jack Eichel with the money? You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking yeah. – I got, you know, <laughs> galaxy brain. I was about to say that has a little galaxy brain. I guess the other spin zone, too, is, like, teams are always looking for capable 
goalies like the the Omar contract is not untradeable if they ever got to that's that fair. point. Um, so before we start trading somebody who hasn't played a single game with the Bruins, why don't we uh, kind of switch gears a little bit? So I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good too. I think we can all agree on that, right, yes. Lauren? Yes, one hundred percent. I, I want to speak for you. <laughs> no, I think um, he'll be just fine. Um, okay, so it's September twenty first. A lot of money. Training camp. Do <laughs> you want to open it back up? Um, so what is? You know, all the pieces have fallen on free agency. I don't think they're trading for Jack Eichel, so I think this group is largely who they're rolling with up until David Krejci returns from the Czech Republic and Tuka Rask signs in January. But what is your preseason outlook on the Bruins? Are you optimistic? Are you discouraged? Are you encouraged? Are you indifferent, neutral? Uh, Lauren, go ahead. I'm very indifferent, and it's only because you don't know how Charlie Coyle is going to come back from this knee injury a lot of these guys haven't played together training camp. You know, it's the time to build your chemistry, but still not a lot of time to get the ball rolling there. So I'm definitely more discouraged, but I'm, I'm not, not writing this team off by any means, but I still think they're, they could be a playoff contender. Of course. I just hope that these guys gel as much as they're hope. I'm sure the Bruins are hoping for that too. I'm indifferent until Thanksgiving Canadian or American. Um, and at that point, I will have a better take. Um, just because, like, I think there's a way for this to break very much in their favor. And if that's the case, then I don't want to sit here and say I'm underwhelmed by what they did because they know more about Charlie Coyle's knee than I do. And if they think his knee was the big problem for him last year, where he was objectively bad compared to what he was the year before, and he comes back and looks like that player that he was again, now you're in business. And if one or two of those depth guys hits, you look like geniuses. And if you're a young defenseman in whom you've put a lot of stock, continue to elevate their game and continue to evolve, you're in business again. So, like, there's a very clear path for them to contend for one of those top two or three spots in the division. A lot of ifs. Exactly. And it can go the other way, too. So I'm reserving judgment I, I still think, you know, when you're going to get the offensive production that you're going to get out of that first line, the goaltending, I think, is going to be very good. The defensive system is, I mean, you got a Norris Trophy winner just waiting to happen on, you know, leading your blue line. There is enough there for them. They're certainly going to contest. I would be, I'd be far more shocked if they just suck and miss the playoffs than I would be if they won the division. If they miss the playoffs, I don't think it will be the product of them being bad. Like, I think they'll be right in the thick of it. But their division now is significantly better that's I think, than it was and, last year. Important thing I mean, now they're back to playing in that division. Where, right. So they've got Montreal and Toronto to deal with again, and Montreal's come around. First uh, time in franchise history perhaps that they're – I actually don't know that. I don't <laughs> want to get over my skis too much, but you got to play your two divisional foes met in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And Tampa and Florida's good yeah. again too. I think Ottawa is going to be significantly approved, every, improved. Everyone will beat up on the Red Wings. Um, but it is, I think, a bit more of a challenge in a different way than last year was. I would say I'm cautiously optimistic sort of for the reasons that you guys laid out. I think there is a lot of factors for things to go right. I I think the David Krejci loss will be a massive kick in the pants, as it would be for any team, uh, but I don't think that they're, you know, I don't think that they fell off a cliff or anything like that. I think Coyle actually could get close to that, but the problem is did you did you replace the best version of Charlie Coyle? 
You know what I mean? I think that's what you're hoping Jack Stadnika right. is, right? Like the the crazy thing might not be the the big move. It's like the ripple effect that comes from the crazy thing with moving Coil up that hurts you. Because like two years ago, Coil as a third line center, that's that is aces, as they say. Yeah. So. Uh, any surprises we're looking for in camp? Anything you know you're expecting to be? I guess you can't be blown away by something if you're expecting it. That's true. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm just hoping that Jake DeBrusque bounces back. I feel like he has yet to hit his potential. There's so much pressure on him. He's bumped around last year, and I think this is a really, really big season for him, even more so than last year. That might actually be an understated part of the puzzle, too, because if Jake DeBrusque is good, you're probably taking a lot of pressure off your third-line center, whether that's Sidnika or Eric Howler or whoever. Uh, if the third line, again, becomes completely piecemeal on the wings, then that could be a problem. Yeah, DeBrusque is going to be the only thing I – because they're not going to trade Howla in September. You know what I mean? Like right. They're not going to uh, – I think the DeBrusque frustration is very well documented both clearly and through the tea leaves. Implicitly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um so, but like I, I don't know. Is that the question you're asking? Sure. Is they going to cut somebody? Basically. No, I don't know if it's cutting somebody, but somebody I'm having like a really something. good camp. You oh. know, camp overreaction. Somebody making the roster that might surprise no, you. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know if there's room for any. There's of that nobody. To there's no. There's certainly no room for the second. The the latter. Yeah. Unless there's a rash of injuries. Like my, my take is, big bounce back camp for John Moore. Uh, reason being, the hip is fixed. His biggest asset is his skating. Uh, so I think it could be an important year for John Moore. He's he's your Stephen Camper, but I think when injuries inevitably hit, there will be a far better version of John Moore. A la 2018, who is not a bad version of himself. Um, so real quick before we get out of here, we've alluded to it about 25 times, the Rask and Krejci situations. Uh, I guess the view from 10,000 feet, like what – What's your sense on the Rask situation? Do you think it's a good thing if he comes back? Do you think he'll come back? And I guess similarly to Krejci, we can just loop it all in now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's always good when you can bring back Tuka Rask. I think a lot of it obviously will depend on his recovery and how he feels. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe Allmark and Swayman really work out and there's not a lot of room for him. But I think if you have the opportunity to bring him back, I think you do. I think it will be good because he's been on this team so long. Um, he's obviously respected in the locker room with his teammates. And similar to Krejci, I think that it's without a doubt you bring him back if you can. I know that he's mentioned he won't do it. Uh, he doesn't plan on coming back. But a lot can change between, between now and March when the Czech season ends. And he's, he's doing well over there. But at times I feel like he almost looks bored because he's so good among his teammates. And maybe he wants a little more competition. And what better time to do it in April when the playoffs begin? right around when playoff hockey is starting to begin, starting to heat up. I don't think either of them are coming back. I think Tuka's – it's a hip injury for a goalie. An older goalie. For no a guy less. who's made – just made $50 million and, like, likes golfing and likes – hockey doesn't feel like the number one thing in his life. And that's fine. I actually respect that. Like, that is admirable. So it's like January 1st going to roll around. He just got to spend the entire – holiday season with his family you know life is good it's nice to be around the house again and be like yeah let's ramp up the pt like it feels like i have a you know some days it feels like i have a knife jabbed into my hip but like 
let's fight through that, get the scar tissue gone just so I can go back and make peanuts compared to what I made with no guarantee that I'm going to have playing time. I just don't see that happening unless they're, unless Swayman or Omar get hurt, gets hurt and they're fledgling and there's a chance for him to come in. I don't think he wants to come in and play the role of savior or hero. I'm not saying yeah. that. I just think it's more likely to happen if that's the case where it's like, Hey Tuka, we kind of need you. And then I think he might feel like he has to, and then would do it. And if that's the case, I feel, I think you probably feel comfortable enough, at least with the idea. I just, again, a hip injury for an aging goalie. I, I don't know. And with Krejci, I just wonder, like, moving sucks. Like, that's really what it comes <laughs> down to. So, I don't – I I agree with what Lauren said. He looks bored, but he looks bored for his entire career at times. So, like, he, that's just the way he plays. Like, he's I, – I don't know. I just don't see it. I, I think Krejci's far more likely than Rask, though, if I were to – Oh, really? Yeah, just because, like, I don't know. I, I'm not a doctor, and this I haven't seen – This year or one day with Krejci? This year. Okay. I just – I think Rask is done. It just it seems like a like you like sports are littered with people who've had bad hip injuries that have derailed their careers and even before they've reached crossroads at which Tukaras currently resides. Like this is the perfect part time yeah. for him to walk away. He's got a great excuse to do it. Like he's done everything he I mean except for the cop. Like his I, name's on it. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So I I just think it's less likely. Like the, but then like I could I don't think either of them is very likely. So. Yeah, I don't think Krejci's super likely this year because the Czech season started like three weeks ago. So you mean to tell me David like, Krejci's going to play get? the full season through March and then decide I'm going to go back to the United States, play the final three weeks of the regular season, and grind through the playoffs and basically have a 10-month season if they go yeah. that deep? I have a hard time believing that. I would sooner think that he would come back later in his career and play like one more year uh, take i don't know the kovalchuk route i know that's kind of a false equivalency with rask i don't think he would try and rehab the way he says he is if he didn't at least intend on trying to play because i think there that's is fair. a very easy way to say because you can get hip surgery and do pt but not pt to return to being a professional athlete i think he's doing the latter so i would say Unless his PT gets railroaded, I can see him saying, I'm going to try and play through this season, take one more crack at it because I'm rehabbing that way, and then reassess in the off season. Did but, we ever get an answer as to why you put off surgery so long? No. He just hadn't come back to the United States yet, I guess. But that is fascinating that that happened three days after free agency or however. I, like, I wasn't sure if there was like a swelling issue that didn't just didn't matter, but like, it seems like simple math, right? Like, the well, they knew it was it happening done. in June. Yeah. I, I don't know. Oh no. Yeah. Th that might be why we're not MDs. Like there's probably, there's probably logic that we might not know <laughs> like about. Like I said, could have been swelling. I feel like it too gets forthright <laughs> enough though, that. where if he was legitimately skeptical about coming back and playing and he put off the surgery a month and a half because he was uncertain if it was even worth it, then I feel like he would have said it when he did his 10 minute sit down interview with Greg Hill at the Jimmy fun radio telethon. Uh, but I don't know. That's just speculation. So we're probably going to be talking about this. Would he need week. that surgery to play golf again? You do need your hips to play golf. That's what I'm saying. So. I would, I mean, if you told me I had to have a surgery to play golf again, I would have that surgery. I probably would too. Right away. So honestly. like, Maybe so <laughs> maybe like he, he was be, fighting through like, the injury during the summer so he could keep playing golf. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it could be a quality of life thing where it's like 
Like he's not just gonna like retire and be like, I don't need the surgery. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. If his hip true. hurts like hell. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna get the yeah. surgery no matter what. Oh. And you might as well do the physical therapy. Well, this has been the medical minute on the <laughs> Nessa Bruins podcast. Uh, we'll we'll call it there. You guys have any final thoughts? I've said too much. I do not. Okay. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get the heck out of here then. Uh, I'm Logan. That's Lauren and Mike. Uh, this has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. I think we just went on for a little while. I'll be honest. I wasn't keeping track of time. But too perhaps too long. Uh, we'll be back again soon. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, whatever else you do on podcast networks. Uh, but thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.